what is up, slap happy sidesters? Who's slap happy? The I think sidesters are I think slap it's happy. You from all the sugar you eat. Just, I just did imbibe a lot of sugar. Cotton I ate candy. the rest. I ate the rest of our Bigfoot poop cotton candy just now. So if he's talking <laughs> super fast, you know why? Yeah, I'll try to calm down a little bit. Our sight, our strange sessions went a little long. Just a tiny bit. It was <laughs> only like two, two and, and a half, half hours. hours. Um, what banter can we do? We talked about the weather. So my coworker Kurt. Um, Kurt. What's so, up, Kurt? I don't think he listens. to No, the side he's not sessions. a sidester. Um, he was like, I have an idea for you guys. You should do VR, like as in get a virtual reality camera so that people can actually feel like they're sitting in the room with us when we're that recording. That would be weird. <laughs> I know. I said that would be weird, but it is kind of funny because people say when they're listening to us that they feel like they're there hanging yeah. out with friends. Yep. And this would add like a sort of visceral experience with that. But I was like, okay, do we have the budget for a <laughs> virtual reality camera i don't know i think for a minimal fee we'll just come to your house and just sit on the couch and eat popcorn we'll just sit on the couch with you and eat popcorn and talk demand pizza demand pizza chocolate (laughs) Mm, pizza i'm usually pretty hungry at this point in the recording session leftover pizza for lunch today Mm, the fanceroni pepperoni from fanceroni it has a hundred pieces of pepperoni on it wow from little caesar's for 9.99 it's like almost too like I love pepperoni, but it's like I think it's we like just a, saw a commercial and Jim's like that's too much. Pepperoni. It's like a sodium party in your mouth, basically and like saturated fat yeah, party. Like your top of your. Mu- I do love pepperoni. Though. I do too, but like mm. the roof of your mouth hurts when you're done eating this because yeah. it's so salty. I so that. I only ate half the pizza. I got the other half waiting for me when I get home. That sounds good. Just we always do pizza here. on Saturday, but we're going up north right when we're done recording, and I'm not gonna have time to make like dough from scratch when we get home. So I don't know what time we're do you guys do. usually get home. We usually stay five hours because that it's an hour and a half drive there, hour and a half back, so that's three. So if we're there five, that means Lucy's home eight hours, Lucy. and that's I don't like to leave her yeah. home longer than that. So we'll get home if we're there till five. We'll be home about six thirty. My Lucy girl. La I'll stay here. And, I'll stay here and hang out with her. We were gonna have you do that once. Why was that? But then we ended up not needing I don't remember. you to. We had like a wedding to go to. I think our niece was getting married and we knew we were going to be gone a really long time. How but long then, does it take you to get up there? Well, this was down south of Milwaukee, but I think we just ended up going later so that we didn't need to worry about it. How long does it, it take you to get up to your... Hour up, and a half. Oh, it's not so it's bad. It's 90 miles. No, it's not bad. You could do it in half an hour if you raced and that is a hint for something. Oh, he was a race car driver, wasn't he? You'll see it. We'll, we'll get to it. Hmm. We're just, we're just dragging this. We're just dragging this out. No, because like I mentioned in the last episode, it annoys me that the Sofa King podcast has this weird synchronicity where I come up with an idea for a topic, and then they end up doing it before we actually get a chance to do it. Hmm. Uh, well, only on the like other twenty hand, people. I, on the other hand, care. I did steal some topics from them. I think <laughs> so. How do you not cover the same topics as other people, though? It's yeah, just they, bound they're, to like, they're like over 600 episodes, which is just crazy yeah. to me. But they, like I said, I love them and, and they can do weird stuff. Do they stuff. do weekly? I think it's bi weekly. I, I think maybe it is weekly. Okay. But they just do, just like now, there's just like all It's more random like our stuff. side sessions. Yeah. Like, okay. they, like one episode was about Burt Reynolds. I listened to one that was about solar flares that was like super interesting mm. and freaky. Like, like yeah, our we could literally be exterminated at any time. Mm-hmm. 
and it's just or weird. a solar flare could cause like the grid to go. That's down. what they were talking about. Yeah. They said if something happened, like and be we like would an know enough in time that we could unplug everything. But they said anything that's connected is going to blow. Yeah, and houses are going to start on fire. Mm. And they said we're just waiting for an event like that. And they said even a massive event, we'd be exterminate life would be just wiped out a minor event and, you mean yeah no oh. like a big big time oh event. gotcha like we would be wiped out and they said we don't know if that's going to happen i mean we not. already see in the news there's going to be a solar flare this could disrupt cell service yeah, or and gps stuff like that. Or service but it just floors me that we like are on borrowed time that we yeah. could literally be exterminated at any yeah. time so they talked about that and that is know, scary <laughs> i'll listen to like just random episodes about stuff they did one about ants you know it's just mm. like super interesting stuff and it's kind of like our side sessions it's almost kind of random what it's based on. Ran- and they do episode like their patreon episodes that are just for like bonus listeners where they answer people's questions and stuff so oh. we got a lot of our podcasts from them admittedly but mm. th- it, it amazes me that they do to- like obscure topics that i'm looking into at the time that happened like three or four times now with them and this is another one of those topics. And today's topic is, no ideas? No. Burt Reynolds, something you wouldn't think I would be into, but that I am actually like super fascinated by. Something about you driving back from uh, your up north in record time. Something I would never do, but I think Corey would probably do. Corey would probably do good at it. We are talking about the Cannonball Run. Okay. No idea? Not really. So basically, we're going to start with the movie, The Cannonball Run. Okay. Have you ever seen it? No. It's a very early 80s, couple years after Smokey and the Bandit kind of movie. It's cute. It's cute in a dorky 80s movie sort of way. The Cannonball Run, I'm excited that you know nothing about this because I think this is super fascinating. The Cannonball Run is a 1981 action comedy film directed by Hal Needham, and remember that name. The movie stars this weird mishmash of people, including Burt Reynolds, Dom DeLuise, Roger Moore, Dean Martin, Farrah Fawcett, Sammy Davis Jr., Mel Tillis, Terry Bradshaw, Adrian Barbeau, Peter Fonda, Burt Convy, Jamie Farr, and in one of his very first U.S. movie appearances, Jackie Chan. Dang. Yeah. That's crazy. It is. It's like a weird mishmash. Like, all these people that you would not expect to be in a movie together are in a movie. Coming off the crazily successful run of car chase movies in the 70s, like Smokey and the Bandit, the Cannonball Run was about teams of drivers entering into an illegal cross-country road race starting on the east coast of Connecticut and ending on the west coast of California. The first team to cross the finish line would receive $1 million. Wow. So it's just fascinating. Like, it's just weird. Like, Roger Moore plays this obviously James Bond kind of guy, but he's like... He plays somebody named, what's his name? He's got this weird name, but he he plays a character who thinks he's Roger Moore. And he actually is Roger. He's Roger Moore in the movie, but he's playing somebody that thinks he's Roger Moore okay. playing James Bond. That's funny. So, of course, his car, a Rolls Royce, is equipped with all these James Bond-like functions. Sure. Okay. Jackie Chan, who is Chinese, plays a Japanese character who is driving a state-of-the-art technology car from Japan, including lasers, night vision. So, you know, they're doing the thing with, like, James Bond has a James Bond-type car. Uh, Jackie Chan has this computerized supercar. And it's just like a typical dumb comedy what kind of car does Burt Reynolds have? Uh, I'm picturing a muscle we'll get to that. car. We'll okay. get to that. 
The Cannonball Run opened June 19, 1981, and it grossed almost $12 million in its opening weekend, which was huge. That's a lot. At that time, it was the fourth highest opening of all time, but it still wasn't enough to beat Superman 2, which opened the same weekend and mm-hmm. beat it at the box office, which you would figure would happen. Sure. But still, like in 1981, to gross $12 million the first week you're open mm-hmm. is amazing. Mm-hmm. The film ended up going on to grow $72 million in the United States and Canada, making it the sixth highest grossing film of 1981 behind Raiders of the Lost Ark, On Golden Pond, Superman 2, Arthur, and Stripes. I love the movie Stripes. Stripes. I love Stripes. I think that's such a good movie. Like, I love Bill Murray. My nose is itchy. And we're not editing this, so you get to listen to me itch my nose. (laughs) Thanks for paying for that, by the way. All right. Despite its box office success, most critics reviewed the film very negatively. Roger Ebert gave the film a half star out of four, calling it, quote, an abdication of artistic responsibility at the lowest possible level of ambition. In other words, they didn't even care enough to make a good lousy movie. So he didn't like it. Variety described the film as, quote, full of terribly inside showbiz jokes and populated by what could be called Bert and Hell's Rat Pack. The film takes place in that redneck and never-never land where most of the guys are beer-guzzling good old boys and all the gals are fabulously built tootsies. (laughs) (laughs) Which they are. Fair Fawcett, Adrian Barbeau. Yeah. The film was nominated for a Razzie Award for the Worst Supporting Actress, which went to Farrah Fawcett, but ended up losing it to an actress named Diana Scarwood for the cult film Mommy Dearest. Oh, that's, yeah, well, Mommy Dearest, that's like... No Wire Hangers. I think I saw bits and pieces of that movie, but you've never seen The Cannonball Run. Nope. Huh. So, yeah, I mean, it was kind of torn apart in newspapers, you know, reviews were like horrible, but the general public loved it. And like I said, it's just a dumb Smokey and the Bandit type movie. All these like crazy characters racing from one coast to the other for a million dollars. Almost as loved as the movie is the end credit sequence that shows bloopers from the recording of the movie. That was actually a Hal Needham trademark. And Jackie Chan loved it so much that he still does it today for his movies. Where <laughs> like the end credits are bloopers of... I love that. You know, that was like, like I'm a fan Smokey of and the Bandit, like Cannonball Run. Like those were the first, I don't know if Smokey and the Bandit did it, but Cannonball Run did. Where mm. it, and people, that was like new at the time to see like the bloopers of the movie during the actual movie. So I just love that Jackie Chan still, like nobody at that time knew who Jackie Chan was. I saw this movie when I was like 11 years old and I'm like, who is this guy? And mm-hmm. of course he has karate fight scenes during the movie, mm-hmm. you know. So that, that's actually fun fact number five is that almost as loved as the movie is the end credit sequence that shows bloopers from the recording of the movie. Fun fact number four, at this point, Burt Reynolds became the highest paid actor in cinema history. For this movie, he made $5 million for four weeks work. Jeez. <laughs> Not a bad gig. No. Wow. Fun it's fact. Hard to wrap your head around like how much money actors and actors. $5 million. $5 million for four weeks work. Wow. I'd be okay with that. Heck yeah. Fun fact number three, Burt Reynolds didn't really care for the movie. He said of the movie, quote, I did that film for all the wrong reasons. I never liked it. I did it to help out a friend of mine, Hal Needham, and I felt it was immoral to turn down that kind of money. I suppose I sold out, so I couldn't really object to what people wrote about me. But obviously it didn't stop him because he returned for Cannonball Run (laughs) 2. Oh, there was a sequel. Okay. (laughs) 
Fun fact number two, most of the stars in this movie only worked for two or three days. Imagine wow. getting a million dollars or whatever for, Just for a couple days for work. two or three days of work and hanging out with like Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. and Dean Martin wow. and and Mel Tillis, country singer Mel, with a famous stutter, Mel Tillis. Mm. And I don't think I have it in here, but Mel, in the movie, Mel Tillis and football player Terry Bradshaw are like a team. Like, I don't remember what they drove, but okay. it's probably like a good old boy pickup truck. Mm-hmm. But people loved them t- so much together that they ended up teaming up for a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Terry Bradshaw. He's so funny. And fun fact number one, and this is what the rest of the episode is about. Most people know this, but a lot of people don't, that the race in the movie was based on real life illegal cross country races that were done in the 70s and carry on until this day. Hmm. And I, it's so. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, it was. So for the start of this, we have to go all the way back to 1914. A lot of this comes from two different articles. A November 23rd, 2021 article on autowise.com, and that's probably the only time you'll ever hear me reference an article in an auto magazine because this is so not anything that you would think I would be interested in, but I love this. I love the Cannonball Run stuff. So the article... It's kind of like the ultimate road trip. It is, yeah. The article in autowise.com was called, quote, Cannonball Run Record, A Guide to America's Ultimate Illegal Street Race. And a December 5th, 2019 article on autoevolution.com called, quote, Cannonball, an abridged history of the world's greatest outlaw race. It all began with a man named Erwin George Baker, who everyone knew as Cannonball Baker. Baker started his career out as a vaudeville performer, but then switched to driving fast cars and riding motorcycles in increasingly daring exploits. Think of like an evil Knievel, mm-hmm. you know. He became famous for a variety of record-setting point-to-point races. Most of these racing endeavors were actually paid promotions for companies like Cadillac and Chrysler. In May of 1914, he set out on his Indian motorcycle to break the transcontinental record starting in San Diego. At the time, the roads that he drove were entirely unpaved and freeways didn't even exist yet. The newspaper accounts from that time revealed that he prepped a ton for this ride, laying out his routes ahead of time, planning what roads and towns to travel through, and even traveling ahead and planting tanks of gas ahead of him in remote areas to avoid running out of gas. So he took this seriously. Mm -hmm. Baker successfully set the record and arrived in New York after 11 and a half days of riding. The endurance Baker needed to complete this feat is the endurance that has carried through all of the cannonball run attempts that followed. In 1933, Baker attempted his last coast-to-coast drive across the United States, completing the trip in 53 hours and 30 minutes. To understand how impressive this time was, remember that just 19 years earlier, it took him nearly 12 days to do the same thing. Now it was just 53 hours and 30 minutes. Behind the wheel of a Graham automobile, Cannonball Baker made history. Of course, at the time, this drive was not called the Cannonball Run. It wasn't even a race. It was a singular, momentous drive that inspired the Cannonball Run as we know it. So now we fast forward to 1971, one year after I was born. So I was like one years old when this happened. Brock Yates, and he, him I know. I'm not even a car guy, but I've, I know Brock Yates from just various stuff. Like he's, he's like the editor of Car and Driver magazine. Brock Yates, the editor of a still-existing and well-known magazine called Car and Driver, decided that he wanted to try this. So in May of 1971, Brock, his son Brock Yates Jr., Steve Smith, and Jim Williams piled into a 1971 Dodge Custom Sportsman van, which they named, quote, Moon Trash 2, and drove across the United States. 
They arrived in California with a new record-breaking time of 40 hours and 51 minutes. They obviously had a blast, and they got to thinking, you know, this would be awesome as an actual race. Do you think the Amazing Race was inspired by this? Oh, yeah, totally. It totally was. So they had a blast, and they're like, this should actually be a race, not Mm -hmm. just one, like an official official race. They planned stuff out, and November came around, and the first ever, quote, Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash was run. The run was intended both as a celebration of the United States interstate highway system and as a protest against strict traffic laws coming into effect at the time. And now this comes directly, and it's cool that you can go online and read the whole article. This comes directly from the March 1972 issue of Car and Driver magazine. And this is the article. Those damn fools, they went and did it. Shortly after midnight on the 15th of November, 1971, six outlandish vehicles manned by 16 even more outlandish drivers, co-drivers, navigators, mechanics, and a TWA stewardess, for God's sake, scattered out of the Red Ball garage on East 31st Street in New York City and headed west. A few hours passed and two more entrants joined the chase, a coast-to-coast epic that will be remembered as the Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash. Eight vehicles in all, 23 lunatics. What year? 1971. Okay. Eight vehicles in all, 23 lunatics. Less than a day and a half later, six minutes less to be precise, the first car, a mud-streaked Ferrari Daytona, yowled into the parking lot of the Portofino Inn in the marina of Redondo Beach. And you're going to hear a lot about the Portofino Inn because that they, these places like stuck as the starting and stopping lines. Yeah, Ferrari Daytona yowled into the parking lot of the Portofino Inn in the marina of Redondo Beach, California, 2,863 miles away from New York. In the next three hours, four more machines had checked in, and the exhausted, red-eyed competitors were lounging around, breathing in the gentle Pacific air, stretching their cramped, grubby bodies in the warm sun, and exchanging tales of their adventures. Twenty-four more hours passed before the last competitor, a huge Travco motorhome with a shrieking police motorcycle escort, rolled sedately over the finish line. It was over. The Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash had entered the annals of fringe sporting records, leaving future generations to decide what it meant, if anything. To those involved, it had been an adventure encompassing difficult endurance driving, nasty weather, brushes with the law, some of the latter bordering on the absurd, navigational challenges, and a variety of mechanical troubles. The concept had been refreshing in its simplicity. Whereas every automotive competition in the world is encumbered by a thicket of confusing rules, the Cannonball Baker had but one rule, quote, All competitors will drive any vehicle of their choosing over any route at any speed they judge practical between the starting point and destination. The competitor finishing with the lowest elapsed time will be the winner. There were no other rules. Once this, world, well, once this word filtered through the underground of the sport, a substantial discussion arose as to what, what type of car would be best suited, what, what route would be the fastest, etc. In keeping with the essentially anarchistic underpinnings of the event, there was no organizing body save for a shadowy group known only as the, quote, true friends of Hernando de Soto. No idea what that means. Yeah. Save for a shadowy group known as, quote, the true friends of Hernando de Soto. And more importantly, no prize money. The only material award to be gained by the winner was possession of the SK Nutmaster Trophy, a free-form sculpture of wrenches, hammers, and pliers fabricated and donated by the SK Tool Company. In its simple challenge, getting from New York to Los Angeles in the quickest possible time lay the fascination for the competitors. 
Others wanted to go, but were held back by obligations to jobs or families, and in some cases, fear of arrest. Others talked big, but disappeared before the start. In the end, it was eight cars, 21 guys, and two women who ran the Cannonball Baker. The race began at the Red Ball Garage shortly after midnight on November 15th. While the competitors could leave at any time they chose during the 24 hours of the 15th, most chose to depart New York in the dead of night, primarily to avoid the Manhattan and New Jersey normal cheek-to-cheek traffic and to permit them to run the Los Angeles freeways at roughly midday, 36 to 38 hours later. If all went well, of course. While an indie-type flying start through the Lincoln Tunnel would have been ideal, practical considerations dictated the staggered start with the entrance leaving the red ball at informal intervals. The very first vehicle to leave was a Chevrolet sports van driven by members calling themselves the, quote, Polish Racing Drivers of America, or the PRDA, consisting of Oskar Kowleski, Tony Adamwitz, and Brad Nemec. This team requested to leave first based on its obvious claim to the pole position, which uh-huh. is cool. And it becomes, yeah. it becomes tradition that they leave first, like throughout further races. Okay. This request was not contested by the other team, so the PRDA rolled away from the Red Ball garage at 12.11 a.m. with a small cluster of photographers, car and driver staffers, and baffled pedestrians witnessing their departure. <laughs> Surely the sentimental favorite vehicle of the race was the Moon Trash 2, which was the race, which was the van that they originally went across the country with. Set well, they the first, did it in a van. Yeah, it was, okay. it was a van. They, they went across the country the first time to set the record with the Moon Trash 2, and this time it's entered in the race again, but it's driven by a different group than Brock Yates' original crew, and it actually barely made it to the starting line. A crash on Manhattan's West Side Drive several weeks earlier had wiped out its front end, and work had been carried on until a matter of hours before the start of the race. It was painted a lethal-looking flat black, its headlights were unaimed, and the heater was not operable as it left for Los Angeles. Otherwise, it was the very same machine that carried Yates, Steve Smith, Jim Williams, and Yates' son, Brock Jr., to the first Cannonball Baker record of 40 hours and 51 minutes in May of 1971. Job demands kept Smith and Williams from going this time, while young Yates was back in school, but the two former drivers were on hand at the Red Ball Garage when Moon Trash 2 departed. At the wheel was Steve Bear a highly competent SCCA racer who shared with John Buffum the honor of being the American to finish highest in the history of the Monte Carlo, Carlo Rally, which is another huge road race. Did they talk about like how fast they were driving? Yeah, actually? we'll get to that. Okay. In that competition, Steve had noticed, noted, ironically, that the police had escorted the racers the entire distance. With him was Sports Illustrated writer Kim Chapin and Holly Morin, a friend and a TWA stewardess who just arrived in New York on a flight from Los Angeles. The hope of avoiding morning rush hour traffic in Columbus kept the Moon Trash 2 from leaving before 1.53 a.m., making it the sixth entry to depart. The winner of this race with the best time was a 1971 Ferrari driven by famous race car driver Dan Gurney and Brock Yates. Brock Yates went along with him. Instead of going in the Moon Trash 2, he went along with this guy, who won. Gurney and Yates took 35 hours and 54 minutes to travel to 2,863 miles at an average speed of approximately 80 miles an hour while collecting only one speeding ticket in Arizona when Gurney was clocked going 135 miles per hour in a 70-mile-per-hour zone. Snow in the Rocky Mountains slowed them down considerably. Gurney is quoted as saying, quote, at no point during the trip did we exceed 175 miles an hour. (laughs) 
That was the Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash. No one who ran, not Gurney, not the Polish team, not anybody got a dime for the race, making it some kind of milestone in modern automotive history. Hmm. So that's the article about the first one, that they ran this first race. This unsanctioned street race was held a few more times in the 1970s. It always began at the Red Ball Garage in New York City and ended at the Portofino Inn in Redondo Beach, California. On November 13, 1972, Steve Bear, Bill Canfield, and Fred Olds won the Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash with a time of 37 hours and 16 minutes. While this time didn't beat the other racers, wait, wait, wait. While this time did beat the other racers, they did not beat Gurney and Yates' 1971 record. They raced in a Cadillac Coupe de Ville, the first American car ever to win the Cannonball Run. However, the record didn't stand for long. In 1975, Jack May and Rick Klein drove a Ferrari Dino in 35 hours and 53 minutes at an average speed of 83 miles an hour to claim the new record by beating Gurney and Yates' time by one minute. And it just floors me that this happens. I mean people are you're doing your everyday day-to-day job and there's people that just drive are just driving across the country Mm -hmm. to try to do it in the fastest time like i can't imagine what that's like no i can't either you know the 1979 race was a biggie for some reason this one started out in connecticut instead of the red ball garage in new york it was the last quote official cannonball and it had a whopping 46 teams in it all taking off from the starting line in 10 minute intervals In what had become a tradition at this point, the Polish team got to head out first. Brock Yates' vehicle in this one was actually pretty brilliant. It was a Dodge ambulance with a souped-up engine, so they could flip their sirens on and go as fast as they wanted. Oh, clever. Yeah. Yates' driving partner in the ambulance was Hal Needham, the director. Mm. So that's where he got the idea to do the movie The Cannonball Run, because he was actually in the 1979 Cannonball Run race. Oh, okay. Yeah. Also in the ambulance was L.A. doctor Lyle Royer and Brock's second wife, Pamela Reynolds, who rode on the gurney as a patient. <laughs> so they had this, they had an actual they had doctor. Whole, yeah. They had an actual doctor with them. They had somebody riding on the gurney and they were in an ambulance with a souped up engine. So mm. they had this all thought out. And you asked me earlier what, what they drove, Burt Reynolds drove in the movie and they drove an ambulance. Oh, so that's kind of where okay. they got the idea. Mm-hmm. Within moments of heading out, though, the ambulance broke down and needed repairs that took more than an hour. Nonetheless, Yates still completed the race, but was nowhere near beating the record. So they had such a good idea, and because it kind of broke down, they didn't. Yates used the guise of an ambulance, while another team, Lou Sayeli and Gary Arntz, simply put a medical cooler inside of their Jaguar. When pulled over for speeding, they said, quote, we're rushing to save a child site officer. It turns out that they were both race car drivers, but they actually were also both physicians, and the contents of the cooler were pig's eyes. Oh, funny. So they actually had, like, pig's eyes in the cooler that they could show the cop if they got pulled, and they were actual doctors and race car drivers. In that final official cannonball, it was won by Dave Hines and Dave Yarborough in a a Jaguar XJS with a record-breaking time of 32 hours and 51 minutes. Jeez, 32 hours. So to drive 32 hours from New York to Los Angeles. Brock Yates, the organizer of the original cannonball run, does not officially acknowledge any records after 1979. Yates commented, quote, I stopped the race because I knew sooner or later that somebody was going to get killed. But Yates left the cannonball floodgates open, saying, quote, if people want to try it, the roads are open. It's funny because you think about back then, like right now that's 80 miles an hour, that's big whoop. Most people drive 80 yeah. on the freeway. Yeah. But back then, we were not driving 80 on the yeah. freeway. But we're going to get into more modern stuff coming okay. up Okay. 
Yates himself would become the screenwriter for the movie The Cannonball Run while Needham directed it. Yates has a cameo in the movie as a race official, and Needham has a cameo in the movie as an EMT. In the movie, Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise drive an ambulance in the race, and that ambulance is the actual vehicle from the 1979 Cannonball Race, oh, which is cool. sweet. That is After, really cool. And this next part, I kind of looked up to see what happened to it. After the movie, he gave it to a church charity, which raised a ton of money auctioning it off, but I can't find any records of what happened to the ambulance after mm. So Yates ended the official cannonballs for a few reasons. He was worried about legal issues and about safety, although throughout all of the races in the 70s, the only near injury was when a limousine in a race overturned in a ditch, but everyone was fine. So nobody got hurt, which is kind of amazing. They you took know? a limousine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to say it was like a couple women. Like okay. they took a limousine. But it's just amazing. Like nobody was hurt. And mm-hmm. this one, I it guess, was amazing. just like a minor over the car overturned in a ditch. Everybody walked out and was fine. A new cross-country race called the U.S. Express was held from 1980 to 1983. It started in New York and ended in Florida, just like the Cannonball. Times were starting to be different, though. The police everywhere now knew all about the race because of the movie The Cannonball Run, and they were not quite as willing to go along with the race like they were in the 70s. And that's the thing, is that they were kind of... Like in the 70s, I think a couple of them might have gotten pulled over. And when they told them what they were doing, the cops kind of let them go. Hmm. They thought it was a cool idea. But things were different. That was like a different time. Oh, yeah. (coughs) You know, like that last person that entered that came in like the first cannonball race had was led by a police escort. So I mean, they were obviously okay with it, Mm -hmm. you know, but then times were changing and all of a sudden they kind of weren't okay with that anymore. In 1983, the winners Doug Turner and David Diem beat the Cannonball Run record, taking the win in 32 hours and 7 minutes. Their record stood for over 20 years until 2006. So 1983 to 2006, they held the record. A few other ones have happened since then. Brock Yates has created something that started in 1984 called the One Lap of America, which is a set of time trials at racetracks around the country with overnight road trips between tracks. That race still continues today, but it doesn't have the same like mystique that the mm-hmm. actual, you know, this one you're just going around race car tracks. Yeah. And, you know, this one doesn't have the mystique that the actual Cannonball Run had. Well, and there's a lot of illegal street racing and... Yeah, but I feel like this is like different. It's I mean, a totally different thing. Totally different thing. Yeah. The C2C Express is a cannonball run specifically for classic cars that started in 2016. One of the cars in the first race was an old police car, and the drivers were dressed like Jake and Elwood from the Blues Brothers. <laughs> so while actual races don't happen all that often anymore, something called the Cannonball Run Challenge still happens with individual cars trying to break the old cannonball records. The traditional usual start point is still the Red Ball Garage on East 31st Street, Manhattan, and its finish usually is still at the Portofino Hotel in Redondo Beach, California. So it's just one person or a group of people it's in just, one car. It's just one car. We're just trying to break the Trying record. to break the record. Okay. So it's no longer a race race, right. but it's still people trying to, get, to beat the record. Okay. And I just love the idea of that. I would. Mm-hmm. That's why I said I would never do that. Like I hate driving, mm-hmm. but a Corey, I could see like doing something like that. Jim, I could see maybe doing something like that. Yeah, I don't love long car rides. <laughs> no, this is honest. a long car ride. This is a long car and ride. Especially since you're trying to do it really fast, you're not stopping along the way to look at you know the sights and staying in hotels. You're just driving. Yeah, that's why you need multiple drivers. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. But it's still, like, the Red Ball Garage is still the starting point. The Portofino Inn is still the ending point. Redondo Beach, California. And I was looking at those on Google Maps. 
the Portofino Inn actually has like a cool sign on the outside saying Cannonball Run Endpoint. So, you know, they kind of celebrate the whole Mm -hmm. thing. Sure, it's business for them. On October 7th through 9th, 2006, Alex Roy, Dave Marr, and filmmaker Corey Wells set a new transcontinental record of 31 hours, 4 minutes, using a modified 2000 BMW M5, averaging 90 miles an hour with a top speed of 157 miles per hour. A spotter plane was deployed for the daytime sections. Wow. So it's getting serious now. Yeah. yeah, That kind of speed is so scary to me, though. Yeah. I would not enjoy that part. In October 2013, a team led by Ed Bolian with Dave Black and Dan Wang set a transcontinental record of 28 hours and 50 minutes in a modified 2004 Mercedes-Benz, averaging 98 miles per hour with a top speed of 182 miles per hour, with Bolian and Black sharing driving while Bolian served as the primary... Wait, wait, start over here. So many fancy cars. I know. Bolian and Black shared driving, with Bolian serving as the primary driver, while Wang served as a spotter watching for police and obstructions such as deer or construction using image-stabilized binoculars. Hmm. In November of 2019, the driving team of Arn Toman and Doug Tabbitt with spotter Berkeley Chadwick set the new record of 27 hours, 25 minutes. The team averaged 103 miles per hour and reached a top speed of 193 miles per hour. That's nuts. Like, I can't imagine that on a trip covering 13 states. They must be going through like the desert, yeah. really flatlands. Yep. Yep. The 2015 Mercedes-Benz E63 was modified and fitted with an additional fuel tank in the trunk, providing 67 gallons of fuel, enabling the team to stop only four times for fuel. That's crazy. Yeah. The car was also equipped with a police scanner, a CB radio, a thermal camera to help the team spot police on the ground and in the air, as well as a laser jammer. The team left early November ahead of Thanksgiving travel traffic and chose a route based on weather forecasts, which provide dry weather through the entire trip. And then it was broken again in 2020. What do you think helped in 2020 break the, the record? The pandemic? Yes. Lack of traffic? The record was broken multiple times during the COVID-19 pandemic, taking advantage of a reduction in both road users and law enforcement presence. Mm, sure. So, I mean, that was one good thing, I guess, that came out of the COVID <laughs> stuff was that people are like, dude, there's like nobody out. Yeah. This is the time to do it. Mm-hmm. In April 2020, an anonymous crew traveled from the Red Ball Garage to the Portofino Inn in 26 hours and 38 minutes. That's a little over a day. That just wow. kills me that it, to drive How from long? 26 hours and 38 minutes. Wow, yeah. they really shaved time yeah. off of that. Yeah, yep. In May 2020, Arn Toman, Doug Tabbitt, and spotter Daniel DeRouche set the new cannonball record of 25 hours and 39 minutes in a modified two, 2016 Audi S6 disguised to look like a Ford Taurus police car. Police evasion modifications included brake light kill switches, radar detectors, laser diffusers, CB radio, and a roof-mounted thermal camera. Wow. So they're, take this, they're taking this really seriously. Yeah. Perform- and people must have sunk some money into yeah. this. Performance modifications included a trunk-mounted 67-gallon fuel tank that was actually sourced from the car used in Toman and Tabbitt's 2019 Cannonball Run, modified turbochargers, an upgraded heat exchanger, and custom tuning that allowed for engine mapping to be changed on demand to use either 91 or 93 octane fuel, allowing the car to generate an estimated 600 horsepower. The team also had a small army of spotters around the country, helping them keep an eye out for police, accidents, or construction. The run achieved an over an overall average speed of 110 miles an hour with average speeds upwards of 125 miles an hour. 
So that's just crazy. It is crazy. From a February 8th, 2022 Atlas Obscura article titled, quote, is this the end of the Cannonball Run? The article says, quote, Toman, Tabit, and DeRouche reclaimed the record, and as the world opened back up, the roads became just as clogged as before. Traffic may mark the end of the century-long tradition of daring and dangerous one-upmanship. Yates now says, quote, I think most of the major runs are over. Hmm. Bolian, who's married with a child and who is mostly retired from road racing, sees the 25-hour, 39-minute mark standing for a long time. He says, quote, I don't think it'll get any faster because I don't think the world will ever turn off the highways again. At least I hope not. So that is the standing record now is 25 hours, 39 minutes to go from the Red Ball Garage to the Portofino Inn. And of course, there's been a few modified races. In May of 2020, the team of Chris Clemens and Mark Spence followed the Tome and Tabit team out of New York to do a, quote, double cannonball, driving from the Red Ball Garage in New York to the Portofino Inn in Redondo Beach, and then immediately turning around and driving back to the Red Ball Garage in 74 hours and five minutes. Hmm. So you're driving from New York to California, turning around, driving right back to New York. So it's a round trip. Round trip, nonstop, 74 hours and five minutes. Then in April of 2022, the team of Nick Krieger, Mark Spence, and Wesley V drove from the Red Ball Garage in New York to the Portofino Hotel, then back to the Red Ball Garage in 65 hours and 28 minutes, shattering the prior record by nearly eight and a half hours. The team used a modified 2008 Saab. Mark Spence remains the only person in Cannonball Run history since Brock Yates to challenge their own record and beat it. In October 2021, Alex Jones, not the conspiracy guy, <laughs> set a new record of 32 hours and 52 minutes for doing the cannonball on a motorcycle, riding his 2014 Yamaha from the Red Ball Garage to the Portofino Inn. And lastly, anyone who listened to our side sessions about Caltech college pranks will love this. In 1968, the great transcontinental electric car race was held between student groups at Caltech and their cross-country rival, MIT. Like, mm. we talked about a lot about... Mm -hmm. The, the cross-country rivalry with them. The Caltech team, led by EV pioneer Wally Ripple, converted a 1958 VW microbus that was powered by lead cobalt batteries. The MIT team converted a 1968 Chevy Corvair powered by NECAD batteries. The MIT team raced from Cambridge, Massachusetts to Pasadena, California, while the Caltech team raced the opposite direction. They met, you know, passed in the middle and stuff. A network of 54 charging locations were set up along the 3,311-mile route, spaced 21 to 95 miles apart. The race began on August 26, 1968, and ended on September 4th. Although the MIT team reached Pasadena first, they were towed part of the way. After assessing <laughs> penalty points, Caltech was declared the winner with a corrected time of 210 hours, 3 minutes. So did you say how many miles the Cannonball Run is? Yeah, 2,800 something. Okay. And this one was longer. This one was like 3,000. Okay. 3,311. And then in October 23rd, 2021, the current electric vehicle record was set by Ryan Levelson and Will Wood, leaving from the Red Ball Garage in Manhattan and arriving at the Portofino Inn in 42 hours and 17 minutes. Hmm. So now everybody's trying to do the run the fastest time in an electric car. Oh. As opposed to like a regular car. Yeah. So that's that's what I got. That is like the the wow. history. Like it's it's. I just find it super fascinating that it, it is fascinating. I had no idea that this was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I I like that it went from like an actual race to now people just doing it on their own. Yeah. 
And like we, people say, it's amazing that nobody's been killed. I mean, when you're yeah. driving at like 185 miles an hour. One wrong move and that's you know, ending and really badly. In the early ones, a lot of teams ran into snowstorms, you yeah. know, because it doesn't matter. What, if you're driving through the Rocky Mountains, you know, then people were trying to figure out the best time bypassing the Rocky Mountains. So people went all different routes mm-hmm. and stuff. So I just find it so fascinating that some people have nothing better to do with their time than to... Have that kind of free time. Have that kind of money to like soup up your car with all that stuff and to drive from the Red Ball. I would Not love just to, any car either, like yeah, expensive foreign yeah. cars. I would love to see the Red Ball garage in the Portofino Inn in, in Redondo Beach, just because I'm fascinated with the. And I remember reading about this, like when I was a kid, because I loved the Cannonball Run movie, and I remember reading that this was based on an actual thing. So this is one of those things that I just love. Well, now I kind of want to watch the movie. I wonder if I can find it somewhere like streaming. Oh God, I'm sure you can. Yeah, it's like old, but and it, like I said, it's dumb comedy. Yeah, but it but it's it's cool, okay, and I though. I love that it's a legit thing, and I love that people to this day are trying to beat it, and I love that COVID they set the record during COVID, COVID because there's right. you know Makes like sense. but imagine some of those flat stretches. Yeah. Oh. So my uncle lives in Idaho, and a lot of times he drives home. And back in the day, I mean, he's in his seventies now, but back in the day, I remember him telling stories about how he would hit like hundred miles yeah, an I mean, hour through the desert because they don't they don't even really regulate no. the speed yeah. either yep. it's not just yep. them being ballsy they yeah. don't really regulate the speed yeah. or at least they didn't back yeah. in the day yeah but they were way more forgiving back in the day yes. of this stuff. but my dad i remember I, I might have talked about it on here that that one day he was leaving mississippi and we were supposed to get hit with a bad snowstorm and he only had like a little bit of time to get home from mississippi and i said you're not gonna make it you're gonna have to stop at a hotel and he's like i'll make it and i ended up going to his garage to see him when he got there and he made it and he, he showed me his, his GPS, his car GPS. And it said he had an average speed of 97 miles an oh hour. Oh my gosh. And that's an average speed. So there yeah. was more than 97 mm-hmm. miles, but he made it. So, I mean, it's doable because mm-hmm. these people had like a hundred mile an hour averages. So my dad did it from Mississippi to here, but I just love this. I think this is like one of those weird, like kind of romantic things, mm-hmm. like driving across the country. It's the adventure. The it sense is like, of it, adventure. like you said, it's like the ultimate road trip. Mm-hmm. But it's too much stress for me. Like one hundred percent, you have to multitask. You have to like figure everything out to the exact moment, you know. And, and they were trying to figure out the best time to leave based on rush hours and the various cities they were going to be in. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's fun. I think it's a very seventies thing, like doing this cross country road race. And I just love, I just love it. So that's why I wanted to talk about it. And that's what that's what the uh, Sofa King podcast because they had an episode about Burt Reynolds and then they talked about the Cannonball Run and then they went into the actual Cannonball Runs and I was like, damn it, no. I'm, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know. I think I would be more into the idea of a scavenger hunt that was a yeah. road trip yeah. that didn't involve speed. Yeah. Speed freaks me out. That wouldn't yeah. appeal to me at all. Yeah. But doing like a scavenger hunt and having to stop along the way, that would be really appealing There was to a me. really cool program that came out like in the wake of lost where it's like the mystery programs called drive it was on fox and nathan fillion was in it and a really young she was like a teenage girl emma stone was in it Mm. oh really and it was about these people that some of them were like invited to enter some were like forced to enter it was about like a cross-country road race and you didn't know who was running it you didn't know why you were forced to enter you didn't know you know they would give you clues and everybody would get to one location where the clues led and then they would get to another one you know and then there was stuff like it turned out one of the people in the race was actually one of the people that 
were running the race uh, and stuff like so it was like a mystery pro but it was actually good at all, but it only lasted for like 10 episodes and then it was canceled but i love that show like i love the idea of the cross-country road race i mm-hmm. always have it's nothing i would ever do in a million years mm-hmm. uh, you know driving down here is pretty much from Antwerp to sheboygan <laughs> is pretty much it for me yeah but i just love the idea of this mm-hmm. you know i love the romanticism of it yep. i love that it happened in the 70s i love that people are still doing it you know so that's why I wanted That's to talk cool about story. this. It is a cool story. So that is the Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash. Fun. Yep. So there you go. Hopefully this was an okay side sessions. I liked it. I, I just think it's fascinating. Like, I love it. My little Kia probably wouldn't do really good in one of these races, <laughs> but there you go. We got anything else? I don't have anything else. Yeah. The movie's worth watching. Just like I said, don't just expect. for the star don't expect, value. Don't expect a uh, uh, life-changing experience. Yeah, yeah. You know, but and Dom DeLuise, it's like just silly. Like Dom DeLuise has like a... I'm sure there's a lot of good one-liners well, He's got it. a psychological problem and like one of his personalities is like Captain Hero or something oh, like boy. that. And he has a cape and all Am this Am I going to be lost through most of No, you won't <laughs> okay. be lost. It's super dumb. Okay. I mean, it is a dumb movie. I wonder if Jim has seen it. I feel like anything with Burt Reynolds is like a dude movie and dudes have tendencies it, to it, have it seen those movies. It is a dude movies. movie. I remember having the hots for Adrian Barbeau in this movie. Hmm. I have no uh, idea who that is. I'll show you a picture after we record. But yeah, like I said, it's just a dumb movie. The Cannonball Run 2 was even dumber, but you know, they had... I'm sure uh, it has a cult following. Though. It does have a cult following. But I love that the actual ambulance that they drove in, yeah. the, it was the actual ambulance That's in really the race. Cool. But I just thought that was such a cool idea to use an ambulance and have a, a somebody it's on a clever. gurney and have an actual doctor with them. And then the two actual doctors slash race car drivers. Mm-hmm. How often do you see that? Like, right. You know, Those guys and are had talented. the pig eyes and the cooler that they had. So it's just fun. It's fun stuff. So hopefully you guys liked it. Um, I think our next will be a list thing. So we'll have to come up with something. Well, do we want to do the Stephen King? Let's hold off on it because we just did his best ones. Okay. I'll come up with something. Okay. I'll think of something. So there you go. Hopefully the side sessions was okay. If you guys want to get in an all strangers cannonball baker race across the country, <laughs> let me know. We'll see what we can. Krista and I and my we'll do it PR. armchair wise. We'll do it armchair wise. <laughs> so I think that's it from the side seller. Krista's getting messages over there. Oh, Jim just got home. That's oh. what that. Meant. So until next time, from Krista and I down in the side cellar, stay, stay strange. strange.